Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson, and today is Monday, June 7th. Well, just ahead, we're going to tell the story of Biogen's historic Alzheimer's breakthrough. And let's dig into the fascinating business of concrete. Yes, concrete. And we're drilling down in Sonova Energy. The stock has doubled in the last year. But what about the business? We're going to go right to the source with Sonova Energy's founder and CEO, John Berger. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And we're here every day, but are you here every day? Well, you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes and Spotify and Pandora. But be here every day by subscribing. Download every show. Click subscribe or follow us. Don't miss us every day. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me as always right now, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important stories in the world of business today? Corey, happy Monday. Let's get to it. Number one, U.S. officials say they've recovered over $2 million in digital currency, in other words, 62 Bitcoin, paid to release the Colonial Pipeline from that ransomware attack last month. You may remember that's the cyber attack that shut down the main artery for gas and diesel fuel to the U.S. East Coast. Colonial Pipeline CEO Joseph Blount told the Wall Street Journal last month that his company paid $4.4 million in ransom money to the hackers. You know, all this nonsense about Bitcoin being the preferred currency of criminals, cash is the preferred currency to criminals because cash, cash can't be followed, right? Yeah, Cash exactly. can't be tracked. You don't have a record of transactions with cash. You do with Bitcoin. And it's actually probably yeah. better for tracking down bad guys than cash and diamonds. And That's gold. the whole point, right? The blockchain. Yeah, so I, I, this whole notion that Bitcoin is the, is the should be banned because it uh, encourages uh, or is the favorite preferred vehicle of crooks, I just I don't buy it. Yeah, agreed. And this is proof. Number two, Apple CEO Tim Cook kicked off his company's week-long worldwide developers conference today. Apple covered a huge range of updates from a new Mac OS to a refreshed watch OS to a new iOS, better privacy controls, FaceTime updates, and even iCloud Plus. Security is a big focus, it seems. Apple doubled down on their new privacy features that says it will help users control how their online data is used by third parties. Also, users will get the ability to shut off the ability of marketers to see if and when an email is open through Apple's Mail app and to hide IP information to prevent tracking web usage on the Safari browser. God, I hate those people who track the emails. I know you saw my last email. Dude, <laughs> yeah. you're creepy. Yeah. Um, yeah that, it's, but, no uh, one likes Apple it. Actually, well, Apple used to actually in the in the its mail app, the preview would say if if it was just oh, in preview mode, it would look yeah. like you'd read the email anyway. But I think um, you know what's important about this WWD thing. I can't stand Apple announcements for products. I can't stand covering those things. We right. are not going to do PR for Apple when we, were, we talk about what they're doing. What's important about today's event or this week's Worldwide Developer Conference um, is to try to get developers excited to write more programs for um, Apple products. Um, one of the things that a lot of the uh, people I follow on, on the Twitter were really excited about was 
the ability to actually write and submit new applications on an iPad without actually having to go to a Mac at all. Um, again, getting developers excited to write products for Apple hardware, to write software for Apple hardware, is the entire purpose of this week's events. Now, Corey, the, the third most important business story of the day, the global tax agreement reached over the weekend. Huge G- deal. Huge deal. It's going to affect almost every company. G7 nations reached an agreement on a global minimum tax over the weekend after years of discussions. At a basic level, the framework would prevent companies from shifting profits to low-tax jurisdictions and ensure the biggest multinationals pay more tax in the countries in which they operate. And in return, the U.S. wants European nations and other others to drop their digital ta- service taxes that target American big tech companies. In its current form, the deal would require that companies pay at least a 15% tax on income, regardless of where they're based, making it less advantageous to relocate operations to countries with lower tax rates. Like Ireland. Like Ireland. Sorry, Ireland. Love you, mean it. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? We got to start with Biogen. Biogen, yeah. BIIB shares rose 37% today, and Corey's going to tell us why. And they've gained 31% over the last 12 months. Well, this was the mother of all binary uh, events. Um, they've got a drug out for approval. Thumbs up. Well, thumbs down would have meant the stock cratering in the you know the company. Uh, their future products may be having more doubt cast on them. But they got a thumbs up today from the FDA. The FDA said that the Biogen's drug, which is called aducanumab, yes, aducanumab. Love that. Adu- aducanumab. Not, not helpful. Uh, not helpful, but it's a treatment for Alzheimer's, uh, which could really be helpful. It's the first new Alzheimer's treatment in 20 years. That is a big uh, deal. Uh, it hits close to home. My father's suffering from Alzheimer's, um, and it's just a, it's a horrible thing that affects so many people. Yeah. Um, uh, now, the drug, it reduces a thing called an amyloid, which is a sticky protein that, the, the protein that clogs the brain uh, for Alzheimer's patients. Now, not everyone's convinced that, that clearing amyloids will help reduce the effects of uh, Alzheimer's. But a lot of companies are developing drugs targeting amyloids uh, with the hope that it will help. And uh, a lot of people, as I mentioned, could benefit. Uh, How many? Well, in 2017, Rand Corporation actually did an analysis where they said that 88 million Americans, 55 and older, might at least consider the treatment, although only about 2.4 million will ultimately be cleared to receive the drug. Now, this trial has been really controversial uh, for Biogen because they've gotten, I I called it this sort of uh, binary event, They've had these binary um, uh, moments along the trail towards approval uh, that have gone completely opposite directions, even the same things. Two years ago, Biogen stopped two trials uh, for this drug after an initial analysis said that it wasn't going to work. And it, so it looked like this drug was just toast, stock collapsed. But then later that year, they stunned the Alzheimer's community by saying that one of the trials actually had worked. The FDA also seemed to flip-flop in this drug. Back in November, the FDA issued, uh, issued a really unusual report uh, that said um, the meeting of its advisory panel publicly calling the data uh, an exceptionally persuasive amount of data. And then the very next day, uh, they came out and said that they voted eight to one, saying that the single trial wasn't enough to prove the drug's efficacy. But now they're saying it is. Now, this is hopeful obviously for the patients. Uh, the company was, uh, it's also hopeful for the company. Biogen made a million doses of this with hopes that they would get approval to use it. Uh, but it's going to be an expensive drug for patients, like $59,000 uh, 
a year for the patients. And on the last quarterly conference call, the CEO, perhaps expecting some pushback um, for Abdulham. Abdulham? What did I say? Uh, oh, Abdulham. In any case. Aducon-numab. Aducon-numab. Yes, Aducon-numab. Yes, sorry. Right. So all, they're Alzheimer's drug. Just call, just call it their Alzheimer's drug. Okay, well, this they uh, they talked about the cost of the drug, but they also talked about the cost of not treating Alzheimer's. So here's yeah. the CEO, the CEO of the company, uh, Michel Vunatsos. And you know what that means, Isaac? Uh, another French CEO. Another French CEO. So we're going to hear him pronounced Aducanumab with a French accent. And even Alzheimer's it perfectly pronounced. Too. Perfectly. Well, it's his company. It's his drug. He yeah. can pronounce it how he wants. He's also yeah. going to pronounce Alzheimer's in a way that only a French CEO could. Here he is. Can't wait to hear it. The unmet needs and cost to society for Alzheimer's disease are tremendous and mounting. Alzheimer's creates a cost burden of over $600 billion per year in the U.S., and the cost for caring for an Alzheimer's patient can be over half a million dollars. Alzheimer's deprives many patients of their independence. By the age of 80, approximately 75% of people with Alzheimer's disease live in a nursing home at a per patient cost of approximately $100,000 per year. The potential approval of aducanumab will be an unprecedented milestone for patients, their families, and society at large. So, uh, hope. Beautiful yeah. thing. Hope. It is a beautiful thing. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at U.S. Concrete. U.S. Concrete trades under USCR. Shares rose 29% today, and they've gained 170% a year. What's going on with U.S. Concrete? Well, you know, there's a really interesting story and an interesting business, believe it or not. And as you know, Isaac, there was a severe shortage of cementuous materials coming into this year. Cementuous. Say that seven times fast. No, I think we're good. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the wrong show, wrong short show. Down, Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the, this, the, the shortage of this stuff, uh, yeah. all the things you need to make cement or mix cement or whatever was all about COVID and the weather. Um, this company says they were actually really punished. Um, they're based just outside of uh, a town called Ulysses, which is right next to DFW Airport in Dallas. Um, okay. Their, their sales were actually down 8% last year. They're down 2% the year before. And the stock uh, cratered, you know, went from 80 bucks a share to $15. And as you mentioned now, right th back there um, because of this acquisition today. So Birmingham, Alabama's Vulcan Materials announced they're going to buy U.S. concrete. They're going to pay $1.2 billion, which is about 1.2 times sales. Now, last year, they shipped 12.6 million tons of concrete. But uh, U.S. concrete said because of the weather, if not for the weather, I should say, they could have shipped even more in particular, in the last conference call, the CEO, Ronnie Pruitt, blamed uh, that huge storm that hit Texas in March. They've got a lot of operations, not just headquarters in Texas, but also a lot in the East Coast. So the North Nor'easters that hit the East Coast uh, over the course of the winter and early spring, um, that also really put a damper on the concrete business for U.S. concrete. Uh, you know, the, I guess the, the positive thing about um, a weather event in the month of February is February is never a really great month for us either way. It's it's a short month from shipping days. It typically is some weather impact in, in Texas in February. So this was way more dramatic than a normal 
Um, but I think that's why it gives us confidence that we continue to to, uh, to have some ability to make it up. Um, you know, the cement shortage can 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 definitely limit some of the uh, some of the growth opportunities there. But but I still say based on where we're at with the allocations that we have um, and the cement sources from from multiple vendors that are that are working with us, uh, that my expectations with would, would be we we could we can end the year in Texas as a as still a, a, a positive versus last year and um, and, a, and a much greater positive on the pricing side. And so anything that we might not get on the volume side, I would say we would more than make it up on the margin side. In other words, more inflation, more expensive concrete, yet another company telling us that they're going to rely on price even when they can't get the materials they want to sell. We really need to start keeping tally of these in, uh, these inflation concerns that we hear all we've been hearing every day from all types of companies Corey, what's your next drill down i want to look at a business inside of macquarie infrastructure macquarie infrastructure shares uh, mic it trades under shares rose 10 percent today and they've gained 18 percent a year tell us about macquarie infrastructure well, it's really a holding company of a bunch of uh, different businesses, infrastructure businesses. Um, now, during COVID, Isaac, have you been flying mm-hmm. private more or less? I mean, private in my brain. I haven't been on a plane in, well, a year and a half. <laughs> Is that because yours is in the shop? Is that what you're telling me? <gasps> yeah, mine's in the shop. Yeah. Uh, it's up, it's actually up in the backyard. I've got it up on, you know, what do you call those? Concrete whatever. I don't even know, I don't even know the names of them. On blocks? On blocks. That's right. The concrete blocks. Yeah. Oh my goodness! In my spare time, I tinker with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, this this company within Macquarie uh, runs. It's called Atlantic Aviation, and it it runs does all kinds of stuff in the in the private uh, airplane business. Well, it got bought out by KKR today. KKR is going to come in and take that business off the hands of Macquarie Infrastructure. Atlantic Aviation. Um, they're going to pay four and a half billion dollars for Atlantic Aviation. They're going to buy some, take some of the debt over. They're going to pay some cash. They're going to pay some restructuring obligations. Um, now, Atlantic Aviation, really interesting. They offer uh, hangar space, air, airplane maintenance stuff. Uh, they're called FBOs or fixed base operators. So what happens with a lot of small airports is they've got FBOs and those FBOs bid for the right to operate at that airport so they can provide fuel, parking, hangar space um, uh, in the general aviation or GA community. So for example, at the East Hampton Airport, which is quite the scene. If you ever get a chance to just sit in the lobby of the Sound Aircraft Services uh, uh, business at the East Hampton Airport, you get to see all the fancy rich people and their little dogs and kids get off their fancy jets because, God forbid, they have to drive like the rest of us to East Hampton. That's it's the a FBO. long drive. So That's a long it, drive. From San Francisco, definitely. <laughs> but uh, Sound Aircraft Services runs that one. Well, Atlantic Aviation runs FBOs all over the country at these smaller airports. Um, now, the larger airports, there are several uh, privately owned FBOs, but these small airports, it's going to be really nice business because they got a little bit of a monopoly. But uh, while it seemed there were some reports that suggested there was a lot more private travel, when, particularly when jets weren't flying a lot last year, when, uh, but these guys didn't see it. And uh, they said their business saw a double-digit decline during COVID. Um, here is the CEO of Macquarie talking about the slowdown in that business. His name is Chris Frost. Our expectation is that once there's been a successful rollout of uh, vaccine programs, 
that we are, are likely to see an acceleration in the recovery of demand for GA, particularly around international aviation, event-driven and, and corporate travel. And, you know, based on our conversations with customers, um, I suspect that there is significant pent-up demand uh, for travel and that when government restrictions and the fact that there is a widespread vaccine rollout, we're likely to sort of see that recovering to uh, to normalise levels um, in, uh, you know, as I said, by end of, of 2021 and returning to normal patterns of activity by 2022. So still kind of slow in the uh, private aircraft general aviation business. All right, up next, we're going to talk to the Sonova Energy CEO and founder, John Berger. Uh, the stock, as I mentioned, has doubled in the last year. But what about the business? We're going to drill down on Sunova. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to the drill down. We're joined by John Berger. He's the CEO of Sunnova. Um, John, thanks for coming on the drill down podcast. We appreciate it. How does Sunnova make money? Thanks for having me, Corey. Well, we make money by signing residential uh, customers, homeowners specifically up for what essentially is wireless power service or solar plus batteries and now starting to be uh, much more than that with uh, EV charging and load controls and a bunch of other technologies that may be coming, some of the hardware, some of the software that we create and so forth, and basically delivering power that's cleaner and more reliable to homeowners across the United States, spanning from near Guam and Saipan through Hawaii, California, Texas, Puerto Rico, and as far north as uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Uh, what, is, what is the model behind that in terms of providing that service? Because there are sort of, it's, it's a fascinating business in that there are so many different ways uh, for individuals to, you know, getting the power to the house isn't half as interesting as the financing of the units on the top, on the roof to, to get to there. Yeah, certainly. So our business model, uh, I'll use some analogies here, and it's always dangerous to use analogies, but, uh, you know, I think it would be helpful is, is a lot like an AT&T or a lot like a direct TV or an ADT home security company, which is we're the service provider. We're the platform uh, company, if you will. Uh, we also provide financing. So when you go in to get a cell uh, contract, for instance, embedded in that contract in some ways, the pay for the iPhone or, the, or any other phone that you want, right? And the same is true of what we do. And what AT&T also does is they hire essentially and partner up with independent contractors that sell their service and provide some of the some of the uh, uh, you know initial sales and operations if you will for customers and then they typically have their own staff that goes around and, and fixes you know their infrastructure which is what we have too so again we're a wireless power company or almost a utility like function if you will that's selling service through our partners independently owned and operated contractors who are dealers to our customers across the country. And then it's our people 
who are answering the phones, who are transferring the contracts upon home sale, who are you know solving any problems. You know, maybe it's billing, maybe it's some other issues we can you know fix remotely. And if we can't do it remotely, then it's our people that are rolling to your home and fixing you know whatever may you know go wrong at that point in time. So it's it's up to us to keep think to keep the power flowing. Has the uh, the duration of the contracts? What is the typical duration, and what has? And I wonder how that's changed over the last call it five years or so, maybe even ten. Yeah, it really hasn't changed. We uh, we came out with a, about nine years ago, about eight and a half years ago to be precise, with a twenty five year contract, which matches gets fairly close to a thirty year mortgage, uh, and you can either uh, borrow the money under a loan contract, or you can do a lease contract or you can do what they call power purchase agreement, which is pay per kilowatt hour, whatever you want to do. And the point here is, is that it's probably the most salient point is, do you have the taxable income to basically take the tax credit from the federal government? Then you might want a loan. If you don't, if you're a retiree, if you don't have make that kind of uh, income, then you would probably most likely be benefit, benefit the most through a lease or power purchase agreement. So it's really whatever is best for you uh, to do uh, is what we'll do. And we don't, we don't really mind either way. You, however you want to finance uh, the equipment, we'll embed that in. And if you want to pay us off early, you can do that too. So you don't, yeah. you don't have to have a payment. When I look at, at your company, I, I, I see one could look at it and keep the entire solar discussion out of it and just look at it as a finance company. It seems like that's a big part of, of what you guys do and, and how you guys do it. Yeah, we, um, and I can see that, you know, if you look at, you know, again, the analogies I've given AT&T, DirecTV, and ADT, they make quite a bit of their money by taking, you know, signing the contracts of their customers up and securitizing them, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit, what that is. And so there is a spread there that you, that you should be making as a service company. Uh, you know, auto manufacturers also do uh, make a spread on some of the financing for the autos. And we could go on and on and on with examples. But nobody goes up to them and says, you know, to AT&T, for instance, go, aha, you're a financing company. It's like you're a telecommunications company that happens to make a spread on financing as well. Now, AT&T doesn't break that out very easily. We do. And what we've done and said is, look, 40% of our gross spread comes from service and 60% comes from financing. And that service por- uh, com- uh, component has been increasing rapidly, and we see it continue to increase. So we make, we make more and more of our money from the, providing the service than we do the financing. But the financing is, a, is an important part of it. Is the expected lifetime of these panels still at about 30 years? I say the panels. The panels are part that degrades, right? It's not the, the, the rest of the, of the system. Well, the panels are fairly durable. We've even found that they've held up to, and we've got all kinds of uh, – um, stories, uh, if you will, real experiences with, uh, say, you know, for instance, Maria in Puerto Rico back in 2017, um, uh, Typhoon U2 in Saipan in 2018, where they were very durable. Uh, and most uh, you know, warranties and, and expected life, you will, are 35 years plus, actually, at this point in time. The inverters can fail much earlier and are expected to, although we have 25-year guarantees on those as well. The batteries are uh, now starting to hover around the 15-year mark. When they first came out, it was mm. all you could do to get a seven-year warranty. Then it quickly went to a 10. It's taken a while to go to a 15, but now has. And we expect that to continue to creep up as well. So the modules at this point in time are the most durable out of, out of everything I didn't in the know system. That. 
Yeah, I, I, I built a house a few years back and, and put solar on. I just paid, you know, the, at that time, the the tax breaks were so great for that unit. I, I went big and didn't, with a new home, I didn't know how much I was going to need, but it was, it was, it was pretty hard to figure out. Uh, I'm, I'm not good with numbers, but it's pretty hard to figure out um, kind of what the ultimate life of the system was going to be, how we should pay for it, what the best way to, to do it was, was tax breaks or not. I mean, I just paid cash for everything because that's kind of how I was building the house. But um, uh, it was it was a challenging thing to try to figure out. And the hardest thing I thought was the bogey on how long these things were ultimately going to give off power because you didn't, you know, the manufacturer might tell you one thing, but <laughs> 30 years down the line, they're not going to be there if, if it stops working in 25 yeah, years. Sure. And that matters a lot for you too, right? If you're trying to do a discount of cash flow analysis on the panel, a 35-year life or a 20-year life is going to make an enormous difference on the value of, of what you're putting out there. That's right. And, and we do build into, and again, it's a lot like, um, you know, an insurance company uh, where and it's really operating any business, even a, a centralized monopoly, you know, power company. Uh, you know, there is going to be some issues that go along in the system. Individual problems, you know, individual customers will have problems, some others will not. And so what we're doing is the bigger we get, the scale that we have, we're taking those individual losses that we would experience in those, you know, set amount of times. And, but, you know, we're spreading that over a very large base. Uh, so we can take bottom lines, we can take a lot more risk than the individual homeowner really should or customer should, because we're spreading out that risk amongst a large uh, you know, population and growing very quickly. So, you know, for us though, we're looking at and make sure that we're not getting too far out in our skis with technology issues and so forth. And it's, by the way, Corey, the things that fail are typically the little things. It's like the fuses, it's a conduit, it's the, you know, imagine, you know, putting an iPhone on the roof for a while and doing that for 25 years, is it gonna break? Yeah, I mean, it's a computer, it's solid state, but right. at some point in time, the software is gonna have a problem and such. And that's those are the kind of things that usually cause us the most problems. Meters, communication, wireless meters, everybody has a wireless meter. Those are the things that break more often than say any of the modules or even inverters and batteries. So the cynic in me is greatly surprised by how the um, the widespread embrace of of ESG of environmentally um, uh, uh, advantageous um, everything, and I can't believe it when I hear it on the conference call at Chevron. And I can't. I mean, those are nice people at Chevron, but still, um, I can't. It's not what I expected twenty twenty one to look like, as most of twenty twenty one is not what I expected it to look like. Um, is that a big driver for you? Is is the notion of of the importance of solar, the damage of climate change. Um, is that really driving your growth or was this going to happen anyway? This was going to happen anyways. This is a fundamental technological shift. Um, and what most investors and people don't realize is, and the pandemic did accelerate this, was, you, yes, we have a mega trend of dealing with climate change and solving it and uh, providing a solution. And you know, however, the federal government and the local state governments come out to solve this, putting a price on carbon, whatever, whatever they want to do. Um, at the end of the day, the business itself is going to pick up some additional cash flows because it's clean or, or avoid some of the penalties. However, again, however, government wants to do it. And that's important. It is important. But, you know, what people miss, particularly on the decentralized side, which which is our side, the wireless side is that there's this whole trend 
that is another mega trend of decentralization. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is you're sitting at home. Now you can work from home. You know, it's a big change, you know, in the past year. You can't have the power go out because then we can't be on a video call. I can't tell you how many phone calls I've had with yeah. analysts and investors alone that said, hey, I just want to let you know, I, I don't have any backup power. I just lost power and I got five more minutes to ask you a question and then I'm out. Like, you can't do that. And, and, and so more what's happened is, and it just started in July, batteries went in short supply because people started to recognize this. Now, how do you know that this is not an ESG-led demand? That's separate from decarbonization. Right. Because you go look at the backup generator market. Go look at companies like Generac, who've got uh, backlogs, even though they're putting on manufacturing capacity like crazy, that stretch out to nine months to longer. That's what tells you, and that generators have nothing to do with the issue, right? So they burn hydrocarbon fuels. I was going to say even quite the opposite, right? Quite, quite. It can be quite the opposite. Now, Generac does a good job of making them efficient and so forth. You can tell Generac's an important partner of ours. But my point being is, is that the demand, particularly down here, I mean, calling from, uh, from Houston, Okay, so oh, you not sound, exactly. Me, you, you sound every bit like you're you're in the south. <laughs> just just to be clear, I, I won't ask you what you, how you pronounce insurance, insurance, but it's probably insurance. Insurance, yes. In any right. case, that's, um, that's uh, right. No, so so no, we're, we 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 saw that in the results of every company from Camping World to Cabela's to you know you you see uh, Home Depot talks about the generator market, and you saw that throughout uh, COVID. But yeah, I think that is a real big change. It's interesting how you're seeing the difference. Yeah, so instead of just being green, so to speak, in ESG, as you phrase it, Corey, now you got re reliability of resiliency, big time demand, right? The next one is I can save more. And so when I founded the company, I wanted to deliver better energy service at a better price. Here to four before batteries, we've just been cutting, you know, the cost below the monopoly rate, which increasingly is easier and easier to do is the equipment technology, just like it always does, keeps coming down in cost. Right. And the cost of the monopoly keeps rising. Now we're being able to sell reliability and resiliency to homeowners. And we need to get that battery price to keep it coming down. Once you can get to places, some places already in this, in this uh, spot, in like Hawaii, for instance, you can have a better energy service at a better price. And in a capitalistic, consumer-focused industry, which we don't always have given monopolies, but in that industry, you win, right? You're delivering a better service at a better price, you win. That's the way it should be. It's American now, way. Now, does, does that sort of macro trend help you? Uh, I'm, uh, on Twitter, uh, one of our listeners, the great Kate Long, who's at Kate underscore Long, she also happens to be a, a bond analyst and a really good one at that. But um, uh, she's asking, it, what's, what does it mean for your securitization, the, the interest rates that you're paying? I wonder if the movement towards ESG is – adding to a better deal for you in terms of what interest rates you're paying on the money you're borrowing? I think so. Um, and I'd be a little careful because at least the email came out recently, you know, just a few minutes ago that we, we do have a deal in market right now. Right. Um, and so we don't want to talk specifics, but I would say that overall it, it can't hurt. And certainly we're seeing more and more investors you know, look towards putting capital into our space, and in particular to Sonova, because Sonova's performed so much better than even some of our competitors. And so the credit worthiness of the company has continued to improve, you know, fairly significantly, particularly over the last year as we went through the pandemic, we really sailed through it phenomenally, phenomenally, much better than I thought we would. Uh, and, 
you know, whether that is avoidance of risk of going and placing capital debt in this case with hydrocarbons because there's an anticipation of issues and regulatory crackdowns and so forth, or just that this is an, a more positive, optimistic move in the sense of, hey, I want to do what's right for the world, you'd have to ask them. But uh, I think it's probably a mixture of both. Um, it's nice to have both working in your favor. How many um, localities are you in where it's not possible for the homeowner to actually just wire the solar straight into their into their home where the utilities require the power, the state tax breaks require the power to go back into the grid uh, from the solar and not straight into the house? Well, with batteries, as you, as you just mentioned, you don't you can store the power that you don't need. So right now, uh, the the sun is out in Houston, uh, and you know my system at home is is really cranking away, and it's definitely producing way more power than my home needs, and so that power is going into my batteries. Uh, and what you you typically hear about um, in some of the construct before batteries really was what we called net metering. And right. so what this would do with the utilities is, and it started in the old days, it was it was for free, was no fee to the utility. Uh, and now it's moving up to having a, a fee, you know, with it, um, which I think is fine, as long as it's under, you know, something reasonable, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, you know, 20 bucks, maybe something like that. And then from there, what we're really doing as a customer is we're sending that power during the day to the utility for free. And then my customer's taking it back at night when the sun goes down for free, hence netting it out. So we're not selling it back to the utility. I've never received a penny from the, any utility in all these years. And we're essentially treating the grid as a battery. The, the unfortunate thing for the customer is the grid is not that reliable. As we've seen, it goes back to my earlier comments about reliability and resiliency. So it's not really a battery, it's a financial battery, which is nice, but it's not It's not what the, what the customers increasingly want. So. I think over a period of time, everybody's going to have a battery. We just need to give the market more time to get the cost of batteries down, to get the supply of batteries out there so that everybody can have the opportunity to have them to make sure that the governments and the state governments in particular have programs for low, moderate income customers so that they can afford them, they can get access to the technology. So we're getting close. We're getting close to that point. And increasingly, uh, again, we're operating more and more independently from the centralized uh, monopolies. And when you look at the the growth in this industry, I, I'm curious what your take is on the emerging details of an infrastructure plan that, among other things, is looking at rewiring the grid. I think it's important. I think that, um, you know, the, the, the reality is that the energy system in this country is going to look more like the internet. And what I mean by that is it's going to be more distributed. More Controlled robust. by Facebook and Google? No, that's not what well, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I don't mean that. But it's going to look more like a combination instead of a 100% centralized resource, right? Big coal plants, big even big solar farms and big wind farms. A bit, you know, it's going to have a combination of, of those big plants and then the little plants and batteries and solar modules and other technologies that companies and service providers like our Sonova is putting on their home. And all those are going to be interconnected together. And they're going to, per, they're going to perform overall a better uh, service at a better price to the entire population. Now, a lot of this means is that we got to you know, understand that the centralized, which has been the trend, is going to drop as a, as a percent. Uh, you're going to go from 100%, so you know it's going to be less 
to something less, you know, quite a bit less than that. And distribute is going to go from zero to something that's quite a bit more than that. And that's exactly like the internet looks, by the way. There's a right. lot of the uh, packets and of, of bits and bytes and so forth that go over the long haul networks that are all fixed wires. But then you have the wireless system integrated with the wire system. So again, we're going to look a lot more like the internet. So again, so do you think that this, uh, if an infrastructure bill happens, uh, that it will, and that's, that's certainly up in the air right now, but if it happens, will that be an additional driver for your business or is it is it kind of neutral? I think it will be an additional driver. There's a lot more of a positive atmosphere. I mean, you know, tone at the top, as they say, is really important. So that's been very helpful. It helps uh, stimulate capital flows into this portion of, of the energy industry. Uh, so that's very helpful to R&D and getting new products out, which is indeed happening. You're going to see a lot more of that in the next uh, 12 months from a a lot of our equipment providers, and then uh, as a result, ourselves. Um, so that's all helpful. The in- extension of the investment tax credit, uh, the standalone uh, investment tax credit for storage, that's all very, very helpful. Um, now, there are some other things that will be done that will be more helpful for the utilities, and that's fine. That's fine. Now, again, it takes it takes everybody to, to solve this energy problem. I think you're seeing a lot more electric vehicles uh, than people thought, and so there's going to be a lot more power needed in the system and that yes that demand is is moving away from oil so i think that again all a lot of the ev credits that are part of the infrastructure package are going to be very helpful in that the the charging stations and incentivizing that is going to be very helpful in that and again increasingly i think uh investors need to look at ourselves and our competitors as as a a nice play on the electrification of the transportation uh of the united states and and other countries uh, it'll be interesting to watch with all these new vehicles and all these new makers of electrical vehicles uh, coming to market real fast. John Berger, we appreciate your time. John Berger is the CEO of SunNova, uh, and we do appreciate that. Uh, well, coming up next, we're going to get the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. You heard John Berger talking about uh, all the growth that they're adding in this company, all the customers they're adding. How many customers does this company expect to add over the course of the next year? We're going to have that number when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. That would include, well, you know what it includes. You're probably listening to one right now. Could be iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Pandora. But hit that subscribe button. Follow us so you can download every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Sunnova gave us some interesting uh, information in their last quarterly call about what they expect to happen with their business over the course of the next year. How many users... How many customers do they expect to add over the course of this year? Well, the company says they're going to add 55,000 to 58,000 this year alone. So a tremendous growth there at Sonova and people turning toward solar. Interesting stuff, Isaac. You have solar at your house? We don't, but our house came uh, pre-built, plumbed for solar, as they say. So um, we have been looking for a solar, a solar company to partner with. I got a guy. Now. I know a guy you can call. We'll, we'll see you, if we can make that you work. You know of somebody? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to The Drill. And we do appreciate it. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. 
the drill down of the production of the Business Podcast Network.